righty. Now we're going to be talking about Uncanny X-Men number 281 from uh, 1991, also October 1991, like everything we're talking about today. Now, this will usually probably be the flagship title. I think a lot of people consider Uncanny to be the flagship. However, for these first few episodes, I think the spotlight is you know, squarely on X-Men Volume 2 because uh, that was kind of the straw that stirred the drink. Uh, now, for Uncanny X-Men, I'm joined by a good buddy. Uh, this is uh, Billy. How you doing, Billy? Fantastic. Chris, how are you, man? Oh, hanging in there. You know me. But uh, <laughs> now, uh, before we get started into the issue here, I do want to learn a little bit about your history with the X-Men, Uncanny or otherwise. Uh, where, where where do you come in on, uh, on X-Fandom? So for me, the X-Men, I was aware of the team in the early 1980s from the uh, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends cartoon, believe it okay. or not. Yeah, that's where I first saw them, and I wasn't a big I was always a huge fan of superheroes, but I didn't really get into buying and reading comics heavily until around 1990, which, you know, the 90s, here we go with that big boom. <laughs> yep. So there was no uh, loss of material there. And the first two books I always, you know, glommed onto was Spider-Man and X-Men. Uh, so they were it for me. You know, that relaunch in, uh, what was it, 92, I think, with the adjectiveless X-Men. 91, yep. Yeah, that was that was it for me. And then I went right from there to Uncanny and X-Force, X-Factor and X-Crazy. <laughs> the whole is there. Now, that, that Amazing Friends cartoon, that was uh, they showed the original five in that, right? Yeah, it was the the characters from like the 1975, you know, I don't want to say reboot, but. Oh, it was the giant size team. Yeah, it was the giant size team. Oh, OK, because yep. I think the the uh, Amazing Friends episodes I saw, it was like Cyclops and, and Marvel Girl, unless I'm conflating that with another oh, show, which what? is possible. I, yeah, there were there were I think there was two episodes and one of them did okay. have the originals. And gotcha. then the next one had uh, like Thunderbird had the giant size team. and all. Yep, the giant oh, very size cool. Team. Yep. Very cool. Yep. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Now, uh, we're not talking about X-Men Volume 2. We are talking about Uncanny here. And uh, interesting thing here, we have a brand new start here. We have a whole new creative team, a whole new team of characters, but we don't get a whole new number one. How about that? Uh-huh. That that almost seems impossible in uh, 20, <laughs> 2020s talk here, 20-teens talk. Uh, <laughs> this issue comes to us from uh, Jim Lee. Plotted by Jim Lee, with plots and pencils by Wills Pertasio, scripted by uh, probably a very perturbed John Byrne. <laughs> God bless John Byrne. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was inked by Art Thibbet, uh, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, colors by Joe Rosas, edited Bob Harris, editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco, had a $1 American cover price, and the story is called... Fresh Upstart. You want to take us into the tale? Yeah, so uh, the story opens in the Australian outback. Um, the Reavers, a group of mercenaries, uh, are having themselves a good time drinking and chatting. All's not completely calm, however, as one of them is certain he'd heard something stirring from outside the camp. Donald Pierce, one of the big wigs, tells the fellow to shut up. There are two far off the beaten path and in the middle of a sandstorm where nobody can find them. Well, not so fast, Kimasabi. Just then, a group of rough-looking sentinels peel off the roof of the joint as if it were a can of tuna fish. Now, Meanwhile, 
Now, do, you, I mean, do you know, did you know the Reavers going into this? No, I did not. They were a group. I think the first actual issue of X-Men I ever bought or uncanny mm-hmm. was 300. So I think okay, I just went well, with X-Men for a while. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I grabbed that one. And what happened was I started to like X-Men so much. The issues weren't coming out fast enough. So then I went backwards. Backfill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went backwards and then, uh, then discovered, you know, issues like this one with the Reavers in it. So yeah, they were new to me. Yeah. As I never, cause I didn't understand who these characters were when I first read it because, uh, uh-huh. you know, I, I, I came into this through volume two and then I started, you know, backfilling just like you. And I didn't know a whole lot about the history or the lore. And I didn't know who, uh, who Donald Pierce was. And, uh, uh-huh. I didn't understand that he was, you know, uh, kind of a big deal in X-Men villainy, uh, you know, going back to, you know, the Hellfire Club and all that. So, uh-huh. These guys were just totally lost on me. I did recognize the Sentinels because Sentinels are, are sort of ubiquitous, but uh, I uh, <laughs> this this opening really didn't uh, do a whole heck of a lot for me the first time through. Of course, now I, I can understand the uh, the lore and the uh, the importance of this, but back then I, I thought this was such just such a weird way to to kick off like a new like a whole new dynamic with. Yeah, sort of sort of secondary characters from a prior generation or a prior era. It's uh, just very, very strange uh, to for this to be like one of the first that you'd read as someone coming in on the big title wave of X books. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're not kidding. Like you said, it feels like it should be a number one. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, from here, we jump over to New York City and. uh this is where we meet the X-Men's Gold Strike Force. Uh, if you remember from X-Men Volume 2, Number 1, they broke up into two strike forces. And uh, we've got the Gold Team here attending a party at the Hellfire Club. Now, it turns out that they were asked to come by Emma Frost, the White Queen, herself. Now, it's funny here. we got Storm here. She's just really, really uncomfortable, really ticked off at the fact that she had to wear what she calls a preposterous gown <laughs> to the gala, which uh, makes me think that maybe Mr. Byrne... Didn't get the art in time because uh, she's wearing like a mini dress. This isn't a gown. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, th- I think maybe uh, <laughs> maybe something was lost in translation. <laughs> uh, now, Storm is there. She's with Jean, Gray, and Warren Worthington. They're hanging out upstairs uh, at the Hellfire Club. Uh, downstairs, we got Bobby and Peter. They're mingling with the other guests here. And uh, among these guests, we have members of Frost's own team of, uh, you know, the analog to the New Mutants, her own Hellions. And uh, naturally, there's a bit of a you know bit of friction between the two factions here. They never really got along. However, before it can come to blows, Emma Frost hurls some armored woman through a set of doors. Uh, now, this turns out to be an assassin who had been sent to kill her. And uh, from what we hear, this isn't the first time that this sort of thing has happened. Even this week, this has been happening quite a bit. Now. Uh, just as the cover copy suggests, this is the sort of thing upon which desperate alliances are built, because that is what it says here on our on our big, you know, new team is born, new era, mutant milestone cover. It says desperate alliances. And, uh, well, that's that's going to be the uh, the theme going forward. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, elsewhere, Shinobi Shaw is being attended to by a whole bunch of scantily clad folks. While chatting up a fella who we will soon know as Trevor Fitzroy. They're comparing notes and discussing a little game their group is currently playing. 
You see, these two belong to the Upstarts, a group of assassins who try and rack up points by killing mutants and assorted VIPs. <laughs> Shinobi is currently the king of this organization, but Fitzroy might just be looking to challenge for the crown. I always thought that the Upstarts were such a missed opportunity. I mean, this is just such a cool concept where, I mean, uh, yeah, this is like, you know, <laughs> it's like you think about like when you're driving on the road and like somebody walks across the street, it's like, oh, hit them five points, you know, something silly like that. <laughs> it's a, uh, this is, this is basically that there, these are people who are in like this rolling lottery here where they're trying to, uh, they're trying to score points by killing important people and mutants and, uh, Shinobi, he's the son of Sebastian Shaw of the Hellfire Club. So uh, this is a very Hellfire-themed episode here. Uh, Fitzroy, we'll, uh, we'll learn more about later on. But I, I always thought that if I ever got a got an opportunity to write an X-Men story, it would probably be an upstart-related story. I think uh, just such an untapped potential here. Because uh, if they actually let these guys be dangerous, they could be probably the most dangerous since they have so much at stake. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, very powerful little group there, but uh, sure. smart, powerful. Yeah, they very, very dangerous, but they never really, you know, hit the, the top of the potential there, I don't think. No, they, they, they kind of stumbled out of the gate and uh, <laughs> it only got worse from there. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we jump back to the party at the Hellfire Club and Emma Frost is about to, uh, well, well, she says she's going to peel the psyche from her uh, would-be assassin. I don't know how one goes about peeling a psyche, uh, but uh, we'll we'll take her word for it. Yeah. Uh, the X-Men naturally protest this sort of psychic torture, and they they intervene before it goes too far. They uh, they don't think that Emma should uh, should be quite as uh, ruthless as she might be <laughs> in in peeling a psyche. Now uh, this little standoff triggers the Hellions to launch into battle, and before we know, it, we're just stuck in the middle of a full-blown skirmish. Uh, remembering that they're there for you know a particular reason, Jean Grey sends out a frantic psychic signal in order to get everyone to stand down. She's like, hey, you know, we're not here to fight. We're here, you know, we're here to help or we're here to be helped, whatever. So everybody just settled down, and uh, the dust does in fact settle. And at which time Emma reveals that the Hellfire Club is under attack and uh, says, hey, you know what? If they came for us, they might come for you X-Men too. So you might just be next. Uh, therefore, it's probably in everybody's best interest for there to be at least a temporary truce. Yeah, and I love that, too, because you know how it is when there's uh, when there are stories where you have to be a little uncomfortable and uh, sure and uh, get 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 a little closer and with somebody that you don't really aren't comfortable with. That's that's actually a good thing there. I like that. That was a good plot point of this story. I'll give it to them there. I think so. I think this is uh, especially with uh, I mean, the Hellions, they just seem so interchangeable when you look at them and to give them they don't really need a personality here. We don't really even need to know a whole lot about them other than they're the ones that the the X-Men don't see eye to eye with. Um, I, I think, you know, this isn't a decompressed story. The, these panels here, I'm looking at some of them now. They're absolutely full of balloons. I mean, there is a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of words. You'd almost think Claremont was still writing it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but you don't need to know that, like, you know, this is roulette. This is beef. You know, you don't need to know anything about them other than they are Emma's people. And uh, and the X-Men need to uh, 
need to uh, make nice for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the Hellion Jetstream pauses that they interrogate the armored assassin and hopes that she'll spill the beans on whoever might be behind these repeated attempts on their lives. Before he can do that, however, Trevor Fitzroy pops onto the scene. And he's wearing his weird, uh, like, glass <laughs> armor. Yeah, I always thought that was bizarre. <laughs> did you I, I, did you ever collect the X-Men action figures back in the day? I did not, but I saw them, and uh, oh, I do remember boy. seeing that one on the shelf. And he like, came with what? his he came with his silly glass armor. I, I'm sure I still have it out in the garage somewhere, but uh, but yeah, that <laughs> yeah, getting a I couldn't imagine like you know getting a Trevor Fitzroy action figure and being excited for it, but I did, and I, I probably was, but uh, it just seems <laughs> just so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so back in the outback, Donald Pierce is fleeing from his robotic pursuers. Bashing through a wall, he runs into Lady Deathstrike. She proceeds to attack the Sentinel, slicing off its arm. Surprisingly, the Sentinel is able to reattach the lost limb without much of the way and inconvenience. More Sentinels follow, and Pierce continues his escape. He runs up a nearby hill where he finds Gateway, the aboriginal mutant with teleportation powers. He demands the fella spin his bull roar and send him to the one responsible for this assault. No sooner does he step through the portal do the sentinels arrive. They appear to look at Gateway, but do not attack him. Back in New York. Gateway's a weird weird character. Uh, Yeah, I was never into him. (laughs) I think they they eventually revealed that he had some sort of relationship, not a relationship, but he was related to Bishop. I think that's uh, revealed much later on here, but just his very um, his very presence always kind of unsettled me. Um, I, he's never been a villain, but he, he just you know like that weird ominous feeling you get when the Watcher is around. You know, yes, yeah. like you're sp- like when we see the Watcher, we know that stuff's up. You know, something mm-hmm. big is going down here. Uh, it's it's funny even not to go off on too much of a tangent here. Uh, when I read uh, JLA Avengers, you know, there was scenes of like the JLA and the Avengers on the same panel. And it's like, OK, that's cool. But then like the Watcher shows up in the DC universe and it's like, oh, <laughs> that's, 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 that's an ominous sign here. Anytime I see Gateway, he's kind of he kind of makes me feel like the X-Men's version of that. It's yeah, I, I, it's probably a very silly uh, comparison, but it just feels like, OK, something might happen here because there's Gateway. Yeah, I never really knew what they were aiming for with that character because, you know, he pretty much doesn't speak, or at least yeah. for a long time he didn't. And I just thought to myself, well, it's great to have a character that has, like, a teleportation power that can, you know, do all that kind of stuff. But I just thought to myself, like, what were you originally aiming for with this character? Like, was that it? Like, because yeah. that's pretty, pretty dull. <laughs> like, was he just there to disturb us? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's wild. I never, like I said, never really got him. But, you know, I guess if you need to get from point A to point B, that's what you got. You got to have somebody like that. You do. (laughs) Now, we go back to New York and uh, Trevor Fitzroy is just having his way with the Hellions. Right off the bat, he kills two of them. Jetstream and uh, poor, poor beef. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) when you name a, when you're creating characters and you want to name one beef, I don't know, but uh, he's dead, so it doesn't matter. Now, Frost and the X-Men, they go on the offensive, however, and um, the army, I'm sorry, the armor 
that Fitzroy is wearing protects him. This silly looking armor actually protects him from any psychic attack. So all of their onslaught here is uh, pretty much moot. Suddenly, though, Donald Pierce arrives on the scene, popping out of that very same portal he, uh, you know, just stepped through over with a gateway. Unfortunately, though, he's followed by a whole bunch of, like, ramshackle-looking sentinels. Uh, Now, the X-Men and the Hellions, they team up to battle back the bots. In the fracas, however, Emma Frost is struck dead. Somehow. Uh, The art here is not clear at all. She's just like, it looks like she's standing up, but like, uh, I think it's empath. The, uh, the Hellion empath is like, she's, she's just so still she's dead, but it looks like she's standing. I don't uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not a good one there. <laughs> no, no, it's very, very bizarre. I, I think the perspective was a little bit off here, mm. but, uh, now the X-Men Hellion Alliance continues to fight the good fight while Trevor Fitzroy kind of just watches. He looks on. Now, uh, after engaging in the divide-and-conquer divide approach, it all comes down to a two-on-one confrontation between a pair of the Sentinels and Jean Grey. Now, with one final desperate attempt, Jean does uh, something psychic-y, uh, I think. Uh, <laughs> we'll find out more about this next issue, but for people who are just reading this one, you, you have very little idea what she did. And uh, even, you know, even having read the the next issue, I'm still like, this is silly. Uh, now, the Sentinels, they approach her prone body and say, oh, she's dead, and they retreat. Trevor Fitzroy looks on. He's satisfied because he knows that he just racked up a whole lot of upstart points. And, uh, you know, good on him. He, uh, he, sure, uh, he sure did. And uh, the issue comes to a close with Colossus carrying Jean's lifeless body out of the club while Senator Robert Kelly rushes on the scene to give the heroes some grief. Uh, huh. Now, it's been, a, it's been a long time since you've read this one, correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, I like how you got to throw in the obligatory idiot politician there at the end. That's, <laughs> of course. <laughs> you got to do that, because we can't forget where they came from. Um, now, what, what were your, uh, what were your, do you remember how you felt the first time you read this? Um, I'm sure I cannot remember, but I am sure I thought it was cool. Okay. And that might disturb some people, but when I first <laughs> started reading comics, I was, I got sucked in by it big time. Sure. So like I said, Spider-Man and X-Men and all the X titles, I was reading them. I thought they were the greatest thing ever. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, you, you get to read other stuff and, you know, years later you look back on certain things you thought were <laughs> cool. It's like, you know, the people that were wearing, you know bell-bottom <laughs> pants yep. probably thought they were cool at the time too and now they look back and be like what was i thinking but um yeah this i mean this is definitely not uh the x-men's finest hour and no. not wills Portacio's finest hour <laughs> or anybody else involved with this one so it's tough it, it is and, and and i'm glad you brought up uh Portacio here because this i've really i've really never been a fan of wills Portacio. I find uh, I find that he is kind of like if you took all the image artists and you you put them in a blender and you hit you know puree or whatever I mm-hmm. think Willis Portacio would come out because I think he it feels like he has like the worst uh, the worst traits or the worst um, habits of all of them together like you can see like a lot of scratchiness a lot of excessive line work a lot of distorted anatomy 
it just seems like he got the worst qualities of the entire image founding base. Mm-hmm. And I might be speaking out of turn there, but I, I just never really I never really appreciated the way that this looked, especially when you compare it to Jim Lee's work on X-Men. It just always seemed kind of like less than and uh, just not not my favorite, not my favorite at all. Yeah, looking back to me, I think Jim Lee's the clear head and shoulders above everyone else from all the image guys. It's not even close. Um, But yeah, this is this is pretty rough. And like you said, Mm. it's just there are certain panels you can't tell what's even going on. It's true. You know, like it's just it's it's really this is this is a tough one to go back and look at and think, wow, this is great. Like it's like, uh, yeah. And like I said, <laughs> going forward too, it's like it doesn't get a whole lot clearer sometimes. <laughs> it's not it's not going to get clearer until uh until the change of direction until image starts. And in yeah. fact, it's not gonna. This is going to be this is going to be a toughie um mm-hmm. to to get through. This like you said, this is not the X Men's finest hour. Um, but it does have a it does have a certain nostalgia quality to it, but I think you know that's just nostalgia. <laughs> that doesn't really Absolutely. that doesn't really adjust for uh, for quality. Um, and here I'm looking at the the cover here. The cover looks fine. Uh, I don't like Storm's face on the cover. Uh, it's it's just more of those those image trappings where everybody has to be screaming, mm-hmm. and uh, that's another. <laughs> that's just something I don't get. A lot of teeth grinding in here. It's uh. I don't know. Um, do you think this was hurt in any way by not being a number one? I would, I'd say probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would. I'd say probably. It, it, you know, you just when you go in a completely, you know, different direction or new characters or something like that, you're really catching people off guard. Whereas, you know, you get, hey, we have a new number one coming out, and you get a little chatter. This is what it's going to be about. You know, you, you go into it knowing what to expect, even just a tiny bit. Yeah. So I think that would have helped for sure. But, yeah, I mean, I guess they could have had another X book <laughs> and that started a <laughs> number one. But, you know, yeah, it's it's tough. Like I said, the cover, it's I think it's like well-intentioned. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have Colossus looking one way, Gene looking the opposite way. They're both making the same face. They are. It's just. <laughs> and then Storm looking like right at the reader doing yeah, this screaming at face. Them. Yeah. And then yeah. Iceman, he looks I think he looks pretty awful. <laughs> he does. He looks he like does. a complete goof there. That's like that's just not good. Like, ooh. I guess Archangel probably looks the best out of everybody there. If I had to <laughs> pick somebody oh. like, yeah, Colossus, my gosh, he looks like he has muscles on top of muscles on top of it's muscles. Brutal, under his arm. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, his armpit gosh. has is just like. <laughs> I don't know what I mean. I, I've been trying to get back in the gym lately, but I would not know what to do if I had to work out my armpit. Like, what yeah, do you I mean, even? What do you lift? How do you lift it? <laughs> what how does do he? Pivot? How does he wash? How does he keep clean? <laughs> how does he fit through doors? I mean, it's yeah. It's, oh man, he looks ill. He looks like a like he's got some sort of a virus. But uh, now, between the two X teams here, um. I was talking with uh, with Jody about X-Men Volume 2, number one. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a little bit earlier in the episode here. And uh, we were talking about how when the blue team, when the blue team, you know, they hit the ground, it's like, hey, it's all the cool ones. Yeah. You know, because it was Wolverine, Cyclops, Gambit, Beast. This team just feels a lot less than. Um, yeah. I mean, you're going to compare 
Wolverine to Archangel? I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I know it's it's probably a lot less fashionable these days to like Wolverine because uh, I, I think uh, the smart comic fans are, are supposed to we're supposed to be better than that. But uh, I'm not going to lie. Wolverine's a pretty cool character. And uh, mm-hmm. especially back back in the day uh, under Jim Lee's pencil and stuff. I mean, that's that's good stuff. But uh, this team always felt like it was sort of just an also ran. Mm-hmm. And certainly didn't carry the sense of urgency or uh, or any of the uh, any of the importance as the uh, as volume two did. And right. I, I, I don't know. I, I hate to suggest that they needed a new number one for this, but uh, I, I agree that it probably would have helped um, because I think part of it. Uh, especially growing up right at that time and actually diving into the comics, just like you right around that time, having a full run of uncanny X-Men just seemed like an impossibility, you know, and it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be a top priority. Whereas, you know, I started collecting X-Men volume two with issue number 13. So it's like, Oh, I just got to get 12 books. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like it wasn't the end of the world. It was something that was attainable. But, I mean, Uncanny was at issue, like, 294, 295. It's like, there's no way. Uh-huh. Like, I'm, I'm a 12-year-old idiot. And you're old idiot or something like that. It's like, oh, there's no way I'm getting 200 and something issues, you know, going right. back to 1963. So I, I think I always just placed a lesser emphasis on this book. And um, that might just be me projecting. But uh, I, I really just don't see any sense of urgency here because we have – what we have here is, on its face, it's a lot more urgent than 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 X Men Volume Two Number One. I mean, we've got deaths here. We have deaths on top of deaths on top of deaths. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, for all intents and purposes, Jean Grey is dead, right? Mm-hmm. As we leave this issue, and that that should be a pretty big deal. But in reading it then and now, it's kind of like, eh. Well, especially just, it, since she had been dead and come back already once. <laughs> but I mean, even then, I did. I didn't know that. I, I didn't. I, yeah, I, new I reader. Yeah, any of that stuff. Yeah. Then. So it's just. But it just didn't feel like it was something that was going to matter. Even you know, uh, the White Queen dies, and 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 poor poor Beef dies. I yeah. just uh, just don't see any urgency in it. But but with uh, Volume Two, Number One, it was just. I don't know. It just felt a whole lot more important. And I don't know if that's because of the number one. I don't know if it's because of the it's a a team that I liked better, uh, the cooler team or or what. But uh, yeah, this just always felt short. Well, you know what? I think looking back to I think Marvel made such a big deal out of that number one. They they of, really lifted that one up. And, it yeah. you know, in doing so, that kind of pushed everything else down. Got to be. And, and it's funny because, like, you look at that one and it's got the uh it's got the variant covers you look at x-force and it's got the cards this uh-huh. didn't get anything no <laughs> this this just got this just got the same this the, the same cover and and you know while on the subject here i i meant to ask you this earlier on here what was your cover of x-men volume two number one what cover did you get uh initially i think i just bought the magneto cover okay that, that, Which, that's that's a rare one yeah yeah, and then I and at first I didn't even realize there were such a thing as you know A B C D cover okay. kind of thing, and then all of a sudden I saw one of the other covers and I thought, wait a minute, why does this say number one too? So I, <laughs> I go flipping it open and I'm like, it's the same story. And then I thought, mm-hmm. 
yeah, but it looks really cool. I'm going to get this one, too. So I ended up getting all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know. I, I thought there was the wraparound cover, and I thought... I th- I knew the wraparound cover existed, but then I thought it, the only other one was the Wolverine and Cyclops cover. Mm-hmm. I, I thought those were the only two issues. I didn't know that there was a Magneto. I didn't know that there was the other the other characters here. So yeah, um, I couldn't afford the you know monumental like you know three bucks for uh, for the wraparound. So I, I bought yeah. the, the Cyclops and Wolverine cover, and I I probably paid like four or five bucks for that when I did it. But uh, that's a uh, <laughs> that's just a sign of the times. Do mm-hmm. you? Uh, you happen to recall what card you got with X Force number one? Um. Oh boy. If I had to guess, I would say maybe it was. It wasn't Cable. <laughs> it was somebody a little more ancillary than him. Was it Shatterstar? Uh, it may have been because you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it might have been someone that was a relatively new character. So it probably was Shatterstar. Might it have been Sunspot and friggin' Gideon? <laughs> oh, Gideon. Oi, oi. <laughs> yeah, uh, me, me and Hero are going to have a good time talking about old Gideon pretty soon. Oh, good luck. Yeah, I mean, his hairstyle's back in style now. It's it is. It's funny, I think. Yeah, so he'll be... Uh, <laughs> he'll get, he's going to uh, get his own limited series pretty soon, knowing Marvel. Uh, yeah, man. And you know something? Uh, back to this cover. The more I sure. look at it, what a car crash. This is... A, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the stupid faces, Jean, like, puffing out her breasts, and then Colossus right below her, like, uh, those aren't breasts, these are breasts, because his are three times the size of hers. It's Uh, insane. I mean, they're not cap, you know, Liefeld cap breasts, but they're they're pretty ridiculous to his. Uh. Yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) like, his his pecs are, like, twice the size of his head. They are, yeah. And... uh, I, yeah, it's it's kind of a it, it's not a pleasant cover. I mean, it's one that it'll give you the nostalgia chills and uh, it, it might bring you to a, a nice, more innocent time in your life or a mm-hmm. more speculatory time in your life. But it's mm-hmm. if you analyze it, it's not a not, not wonderful. <laughs> it's not the greatest. I mean, and uh, by the way, anybody listening, send your hate mail to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Wolf. Uh, <laughs> like you said though i can look at this and read it and be like oh yeah cool that's when i you know was like a, a newer reader and was jacked up about comics but sure. you, you try to take a critical eye to things and it's like yeah it really doesn't you know it, it hold hold up over the years very well <laughs> yeah and, and you know going back to I, I hate going back to volume two because i shouldn't be comparing the two they are apples and oranges but uh the last time I flipped through volume two, and I talked about this with Jody as well, I was just struck by the sheer amount of just iconic panels. You know, uh-huh. like you have like Wolverine in the sewer, you have Magneto standing there with his arm out. You have all these just iconic panels that like I can close my eyes and I can picture them so vividly. Yeah. I don't get that here. No. I, there's there's very, very little in the way of iconic here. Um it's just very, I hate to use the term messy, but it, it the, the entire thing just feels very messy. It feels very uh, rushed. It feels very frantic. And, uh, chaotic. <laughs> it's chaotic. It is chaotic, and it just doesn't, it, it doesn't tell a great story. No, and you, by the way, chaos is one of my favorite words, so <laughs> we'll just let that go at that. <laughs> but this is... Uh, 
this gets, uh, you know, all the bad qualities of chaos here, or all the maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the unspectacular qualities of a yeah, <laughs> as a sure. But uh, but yeah, I, I I hope you I hope you know what you uh, signed on for. Uh, with mm-hmm. Well, you know, the good thing is though, I know eventually it turns around. It does. It will. It will. It'll it'll take a complete change of the. Uh, of the creative team because yep. poor John Byrne's going to run away uh, really, really quick. Oh. And, uh, and Jim, Jim and Wills are going to uh, go find their fame and fortune elsewhere. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll be left with, uh, with Mr. Lobdell and uh, Mr. Romita and uh, the Cubits will show up. So it'll be a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, something tells me that Gene's going to get better pretty quick. So yeah. uh, we don't have to really, really worry about that here. Um, you know, I think my my main takeaway from this entire issue is just, and I said this earlier, just what a missed opportunity the uh, the upstarts were. I, I really think, because yeah, you think about it, about a about two years after this, they start this legacy virus thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where they start by, you know, they start killing kind of secondary mutants. You know, you'll you'll lose we'll lose Pyro for a minute, we'll lose uh, Magic for a minute. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been just so much more effective had they actually started letting these upstarts kill people. Yeah. I think like the most, what the the highest profile name is freaking beef. Mm-hmm. Is that the highest profile? <laughs> uh, I, I think Shinobi might've killed Sebastian for a minute, but I mean, just such a, such a missed opportunity. I, I was hoping uh, that when, uh, what was it Bill Jemis and uh, Joe Casada took over, and they they were they were really getting like experimental with their titles and stuff. Right. I just thought Upstarts were just such a, an awesome, uh, uh, just an idea to to mine and play with. And even if it was just like a, like a four issue miniseries, you know, about the Upstarts, just to give us something like that because they were giving us weird stuff like that back then. Yeah. And uh, but alas, it was uh, it was not to be. And instead, uh, you know, Claremont came back and gave us the Neo. And, uh, it, it, you know, well, it, it, oh. good God willing, we'll, we'll be talking about the Neo probably in like 15 years. So there's <laughs> that. Uh, what would your what would your main takeaway from Uncanny X-Men 281 be? Uh, R.I.P. Beef. <laughs> Poor Beef. You know, uh, over on over on Moratory Mondays, we do uh, we do, you know, eulogies for characters. So if, if anybody has any. <laughs> thoughts for beef uh, please send them to us and we will uh, read them on the air and uh, we will have a a, a nice old uh, memorial service for uh, the man known as beef the last poor beef i didn't know you very well <laughs> no i didn't i couldn't last poor beef I, I couldn't pick you out of a lineup sorry pal I, I think you were big because your name was beef uh now uh-huh. before, before we jam out uh, how about you uh you plug yourself Okay, so yeah, if anybody's looking to find me, go to Twitter. I'm on there constantly. It's a little bit of an addiction, and I'm trying to get help. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, Billy D underscore Licious, and that is really creepy. But it's it's I'm not creepy on there. I'm very positive, looking to talk comics. But uh, yeah, at Billy D underscore Licious, and my name's Doc Strange. And who's that on your avatar? Is that uh... Peter Cushing? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I had to, I'm just I'm zooming in my screen now because I've seen it a million times, but. I... 
I never yeah. thought to ask who it is. So he's having some tea. Yeah, I'm a huge Hammer tea. fan, huge Peter Cushing fan, huge fan of you know Hammer horror films from uh, back way back in the day. Huge fan. So love Peter Cushing. And Billy's a great follow. So if you're not following him already, give him a look. But uh, I think that's all we've got for Uncanny. From here, uh, I don't know what's coming next. It might be X Factor. Maybe we'll jump to X Factor next. We'll have to see what happens mm. after uh, whatever <laughs> divider I put in here. We'll see where we wind up. So uh, thanks for coming on, Billy. And uh, we will uh, we will do this again next time. And we're going to meet Bishop next time out. So that's a pretty big deal. We might want to uh, get the segment slabbed, bagged, and boarded because uh, I think this is going to be a valuable one, at least in the short term. Mm, yep a true believer i'm a true believer (laughs) (laughs) thanks again sir thanks for having me on